there was a big threat. Everyone was arguing on Twitter, right? Everyone gets fired up on social media. Like they showed some guy, he jumped off like a, I don't know how high the box was, but it was like an insane depth jump. And he like stuck the landing, which is pretty spectacular what the guy did. And then other guys were like, we would never do that. Like that's dangerous. You can't do that. But then you like look at skiing and look at the, yes. like, the big air and the landings. Those guys are coming off of, you know, in the air with skis on and they're landing like in those forces. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think we're missing the boat as far as like what we can provide the athlete in the training environment. When you are constantly hitting the same positions with plyometrics, or that is your one rubric of like whether plyo was good is the landing position. I just kind of think about how much we program based around that. And so now all of our volume, all of our intensity is based around those, you know, ideal positions and when we think like that, to your point, Jeremy, you're constantly trying to explore how can I change the kinematics just through making them do different tasks. That was Jeremy Frisch and Callan Butterfield, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to mention a really cool item that is available now from our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com, in their store. That item is Exogen Premium Wearable Resistance. Exogen is a series of tight-fitting sleeves along with uniquely shaped fusiform weights that strap directly onto those sleeves. So what I mean is you can have shin sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, and a vest, and you can strap these uniquely fusiform-shaped weights. They're light in nature, 100, 200 grams, that strap on in a way that allows you not only to resist movement very specifically, but also add fine-tuned elements of rotation to that resistance. So this is the next level of wearable resistance. You may have heard this from back long ago on the show, Hank Kreienhoff talking about it, to recently Chris Corfis, sprint coach, talking about it. This is the next level in premium wearable resistance. I've used it myself. I love it. I love not only the way it feels and the way you feel form and technique change. It's like combining technique with power. And so often we just think about weighted vests as just pure force, pure downward gravity loaded resistance. This is the ultimate combination of technique with power. And it shows up in things like Chris Corfis being able to take time off an athlete's 10 meter fly by putting the sleeves just on one side of the body and ipsilateral resistance. We're using the body's own systems, fine tuning it. And that's what this does. It allows you as the coach or an athlete to create, explore and fine tune the way that the resistance is rotationally impacting the body this is next level stuff, and I know you'll love it. So you can check that out in the Simply Faster store. Head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com, and get your exogen gear today. Hi, and welcome to another show. Glad you guys are here. And one thing that I really enjoy about the world of athletics is how we can learn things from various sports, sometimes sports on the more extreme end of things, and then plug lessons that we can learn there back into our own practice with the athletes that we have in front of us. In the case of this show today, uh, in addition to great talks on plyometrics, gameplay, long-term athletic development, we'll be looking at the sport of downhill skiing and snowboarding specifically and talking about how lessons from that sport can also fit with our jump training, plyometric progressions, ideas on variability, and a whole lot more. Our guests today are Jeremy Frisch and Callan Butterfield. Jeremy is the owner and director of Achieve Performance Training in Clinton, Massachusetts. He's been a multi-time guest on this show. And Jeremy is my go-to guy on all things youth training, youth performance, and that process of long-term development as the training changes over time as athletes move from youth to middle school to high school to college and professional. Jeremy works with athletes of all levels, and he not only is a strength coach, but also has skin in the game as a youth sport coach. So his holistic perspective is so helpful for this whole umbrella of athletic development. Callan Butterfield is the high performance manager at U.S. Ski and Snowboard. Callan worked with Exos for eight years as a coach prior to his time at U.S. Ski and Snowboard. And Callan and Jeremy are working together on concepts related to long-term development of ski and snowboard athletes. So on the show today, we're going to chat a little bit about this collaboration that Jeremy and Callan have been up to, as well as tons of great info on uh, really complexity. And if you looked at like downhill sports and skiing, it's, it's intense and it's complex and the coordination and progressions are are very substantial. And so a lot of this we relate to how do we engage our athletes, everyday athletes in front of us from a plyometric perspective, a robustness perspective, 
a sensory and variability perspective before they get into their main training bout. This podcast had a lot a lot of just not only insightful and interesting and, and diverse material, but also just a lot of practical stuff that we can really use as we think about our, our own athletes' development. This chat was a lot of fun, and I know you guys are going to enjoy it. Let's get on to the show with Jeremy Frisch and Callan Butterfield. Awesome to have you guys here today. So for, I guess, my opening question, I don't necessarily like to get too far into backgrounds and things like that, but I think uh, at least some sort of background as to how you guys got together and then Callan, a little bit, as well as a little bit of what you do, would be awesome. Just so your collaboration, then Callan, your job with ski and snowboard. Yeah, so uh, I was familiar with Jeremy from work that he wrote, you know, articles and things that I had seen and other coaches had kind of bumped my way on social media. So in my position with US Ski and Snowboard, what I do for the national team is a couple different things, but really primarily bringing Jeremy in to help us with our athletic development academies. So we have clubs and academies they're all based around obviously skiing, ski racing, free ski, snowboard, all different sliding sports, and some that are specifically sport academies focused on alpine ski racing, or they have just alpine ski racing and cross country. And what we do is we coordinate with our top, there's about 12 clubs in the country that are part of our elite, but we call it the high performance center program, which basically integrates directly with the U S national team's high performance department. And, uh, it's been going on for about four years now we're in our fourth year. And so we pulled Jeremy in as kind of an external consultant expert to help really with this specific program that we're doing of trying to develop tools for weekend coaches or volunteer parent coaches around, you know, how to take a U10 team ski racing or a free ski and take them through training or athletic development that's age appropriate. Cause that's something that we're lacking from the ski team perspective is really being able to offer you know, even just like a pamphlet or a, a handbook on here's how you run a warm up and a games based training session for eight year olds, right? Before you get on the snow or during the summer or something like that. So, we're trying to really increase access of coaches who might be certified, you know, ski coaches or sport coaches, but maybe have, you know, no experience or very little experience with physical education or athletic development. So, Jeremy is helping me kind of lead this group of five club staffs or club coaches and developing these resources as well as, uh, you know, he's educating them as we go, because a lot of times it's really insular and they, they get education from, you know, us ski and snowboard or other ski team outlets or things like that. But, uh, we really like exposing everyone to, you know, diverse opinions, ideas, things like that. So bringing Jeremy in with his background and experience, both up and down kind of the athletic development I guess, pathway for lack of a better term, different age ranges, as well as his practical experience as a coach doing it for so many years. We've had a lot of academics, skill acquisition specialists come in and present. And, you know, it's very good stuff, but sometimes it's harder to grasp because it's so based in, in theory. And um, Jeremy can show a video of what he does. And all of a sudden, all the coaches go, oh, that makes total sense, right, of what we're actually talking about. So, that's what we've tapped him for. And moving forward, we hope to have him you know, more involved with, with this project. So what are some things then that, and maybe I'll, I'll start with this. So I, I want to get into long-term development for skiing and some of the unique demands of skiing. And then I just had Stephen Kotler on this podcast recently talking about flow states and high risk sports, which I think is a really cool and unique element of things. And I like looking at any sport as a way to look at all sports or what does this sport offer to all sports? And I'd like to kind of kick off by, you mentioned gameplay, Callan, and we were just talking about that, me and Jeremy, before we started this conversation. And I'd imagine, as I think you were saying, like a sport like skiing could be really regimented for a lot of people and the kids just don't get a chance because it's skiing. It's very, like, it can be technical. It's, uh, and yes, it's like within the sport, that's a lot of flow states, but the ability to like play too and move in multiple directions and react and just like all the foundations of things. How does gameplay fit into a sport like skiing? Yeah, I'll start and then I'll maybe toss it to Jeremy and his perspective from what he's interacted with our coaching staffs on. I think it's really interesting because it's it's such a wide variety of athlete abilities and backgrounds that we get in ski racing, at least coming up into the national team. But I would say it kind of follows the curse of American sport. And it's it's an early engagement sport, technically, like there's skills that you have to learn from a sliding perspective. But that oftentimes turns into really early specialization and spending too much time skiing. And Jeremy and I have had conversations about this. Like what we're really trying to do is 
kind of figure out the best way. And we meaning not just Jeremy and I, but this group of, of clubs, uh, how we can fit physical education and games into training. And I think just like any sport, the chaos and reaction of games, the perceptual cognitive aspects of dodging, throwing, um, making decisions tactically and technically on the fly, and just allowing your body to kind of be a body in a sport or play context, you know, has indirect translation. I think kind of going back to more of the the original piece of, you know, there's a thrill seeking community. It's what you guys were talking about before we even started with aerial skills and flipping and, and spinning, you know, the mentality of most of the athletes that make it to a high level in ski racing or free ski, you know, big air, half pipe, slope style type stuff is, is intense, right? It's almost like daredevil formula one, you know, skiing is one thing and you know you can ski as fast as you want but like the speed that you know an alpine ski racer actually goes is you know you're 85 miles an hour totally exposed you got these long levers on your feet so the game aspect and, and how it translates into sport i think is is very much on the physical side i think the mental side is you know completely unique at the same time what we find is and i'm sure you guys have talked about this ad nauseum a lot of times we get athletes on the national team, particularly that because they've had limited sport exposure to, to multi-sports and the regimented training early on, just basic or fundamental movement skills, basic ability to, you know, adjust to their environment and adapt is, is compromised. And so I think that's where the important is, you know, in a sport where you're constantly reacting to the surface, the speed, the weather conditions, the wind you just have to all around be a, a really legit athlete, A, to perform, but B, you know, to, to keep yourself safe. And so I think gameplay and chaos environments and all those things are just so critical early on because it lays that foundation. I don't know if Jeremy has any other specific thoughts on that. But. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at it, it's all movement, right? We're all humans, so it's all, it's all movement. The only difference is it's like, are you using a ball or different surfaces, different balls, different types of equipment, things like that. So I think any sport that you do has carry over to another one. You know what I mean? So, and I know Cal and I talked about this a million times, but, and just like every other sport, there's seems to be this idea that if you do that one sport more, more and more and give up everything else that you're going to be more elite at the end. You know what I mean? And we all know it's just not the case because if you miss certain developmental skills coming up, especially the beginning, you know, you're going to fall apart in the end. Unfortunately, that's where you see it is at the end, right? You don't see it when they're young kids. And so people, it's easy to miss and it's easy to pass by. You know what I mean? And so I think the idea with being able to offer or, you know, arm the mom and pop coach or the coach that doesn't have a background in PE to be able to provide those skills for the youngest athletes, you're sort of filling these developmental holes, hopefully. Where And then the idea is that they'll have a higher platform to stand on later on when they get to the higher levels, you know? So that's pretty much my view of it. Yeah. I would piggyback that too with another like more ski related. My background is not ski racing or this sport competitively either. You know, it's, um, I grew up skiing, but I, I really didn't even know that like us ski and snowboard had a high performance department until I got hired here. But <laughs> one of the ways that we're really trying to look at it is Mark Williams kind of drew this this graphic when we were conversing with him and he's a skill acquisition specialist here at university of Utah done a lot of work in soccer, but it's like you have this special expertise versus variable expertise. And a lot of times our, our athletes in ski racing and or in free ski and snowboard, which is kind of weird because free ski snowboard is very much free flow, like not traditional training attitudes. Like we want to get in the gym and clean heavy, you know, it's their gymnastics or just kind of park rat type attitudes. But what we develop over time is this really deep trough, right? And so these athletes get a lot of reps in specific conditions or on specific courses. You know, if they're growing up at the same mountain for 12 years and training on the same terrain and pitch and all this stuff, they get really good performing there. So they have a really good deep trough. What we need is kind of this wider trough, that variable expertise for them to adjust and adapt when they go from, you know, Squaw Valley to the East Coast or they come from the East coast, you know, icy rain and go into, you know, Northwest Canada and they're skiing on different snow and different terrains and things like that. And they can just adapt and adjust. And I would say it's even more so in these sports because 
you know, a soccer pitch is a soccer pitch, a basketball court is a basketball court. And yes, you have the different stadiums or environments, but when you're talking about being able to respond and adapt to the environment in this context, you're literally talking about how variable the environment can be. And so like with what Jeremy's talking about, you know, movement skills and a sport is a sport, the, the more robust and resilient, essentially we can get these athletes and I'll bring this back to the gameplay, the better, because they may be skiing on surfaces, terrain, elevations, whatever, that are so completely different every competition. They just can't depend on that the pitch is going to be 80 meters by 120 meters or whatever every time. And so what we try and do using games more specifically is really just force environments that get them to explore their bodies, their joints, you know, how to maneuver around certain objects or other people and really just kind of get them out of their comfort zone. And through using games, I think it's a lot more fun for them versus me telling them like, okay, here's how you're going to avoid this or cut here, or do things like that. So, yeah, I, I, one of the things that you said I thought was really interesting was like the variable environment. And I almost link that to from a sport like skiing or snowboarding or a, an individual terrain oriented sport or a BMX biking or anything that's, that has a different course to it. Like being on the same mountain is kind of like if I'm a basketball player, like playing with the same kids, like, and no, yeah. no one else, like that's like my environment. And it, it makes me think about digging that trough deeper is a lot of it's just exposing yourself to different, I guess in the team sport, you could say it's different gameplay styles. It's different people with different tactics. And maybe that's kind of like getting on a different mountain or a different terrain and things like that. The thing I think is interesting about skiing too, and it's, I've been thinking about this because I've uh, been interacting with a few people who have young kids in gymnastics recently. And I think about just how early you have to get into that sport and how brutal it is because the peak is like 15. So it's interesting. Skiing is a sport with an early exposure, but what's like the peak? When do people tend to peak in skiing or snowboarding? Yeah, I mean, we have a broad swath. So for example, on our national team, the full national team, which is made up of multiple different sports and disciplines, our youngest national team athlete is 15, I think. And that's in the free ski dude sport. And we have like, I'm working with someone right now who is 38 and he's an Alpine speed, which is like downhill. So big, long races, two minutes long or so. And so there's a, there's a pretty wide swath. I would say like, if you're looking more in terms of the the disciplines themselves, you know, the free ski snowboard, like half pipe park pipe, you know, you're a vet, you're a seasoned vet long in the tooth. If you're 24, 25, Whereas with Alpine, you're probably hitting your peak, you know, near there or later, you know, 25, 26, maybe to 28, 29. And then if you're hanging in there beyond there, it's because you have really good training and you're keeping your, your body put together. And then in cross country, obviously, endurance wise, like you could compete it well into your 30s and, and still be hitting PRs and things like that. So it's a pretty broad spectrum. Got it. I think about like gymnastics, like it's such a brutal sport because it's like the time where before you hit your peak is so like you have to get specific so fast in that sport. And I'm sure yeah. that's as well as the nature of that sport itself is probably why there's so many injuries. I mean, it's just a brutal sport and then you are so specialized as well on top of that very quickly. But it's nice to think, well, at least with, with skiing, you just have the option. You have more time to widen out that trough. And I like that example of widening that trough out. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys have any thoughts on that, please um, throw that in there. But I also wanted to ask you about the games you're playing. I'd imagine it's probably the same, whether it's skiing or uh, a different sport at, at a young age, like 9, 10, 11, 12 or whatever, that it's probably, I mean, is there any difference in the games that are presented? I imagine it's probably a standard issue across sports at that point. Or, or, or what's you guys' take on that? I'll let Jeremy take that one up front. I think we share the same thoughts. So, Yeah, I think it's very similar. Like, you know, you're you're trying to, provide them with games, you know, your basic tag or dodgeball or any, any of those classic PE type things are all good. I also think too, like, you know, we've talked about this before, it doesn't necessarily have to be a game. It could be like an activity where you're doing like gymnastics, right? Different types of gymnastics and, you know, rolling, tumbling, those type of things too, I think are huge. I know there's one of the kids I train who's, who's a pretty serious skier in the, in the winter time, you know, I try to, when he comes to see me, I try to, again, fill those holes. Right. So when he comes in and do, does a session with me, we're, we are playing like the other day we played a game of, you know, he was with other kids that are plays different sports, but you know, we played a game of um, dodgeball tag. And then, but prior to that, we had spent the first 15 minutes of his session doing forward rolls and cartwheels 
and backwards rolls. We were doing a, a thing where he had to react. Like we rolled a, a, it's like a tackle dummy with, you know, we rolled it at him and then he had to get out of the way and dive and, and do a diving roll. And so for me, I think those type of activities go a long way as well, because, you know, and you don't have to be an expert on skiing, but if you ever watched the Olympics, you see those guys take spills, you know what I mean? Or in the half pipe, you see them fall and no one had a fall and to be able to handle a fall is important too. So I think on that side of it as well, along with the game type thing, the basic tag and race and chase and, and, and those type of things, uh, the other side of it is activities that really sort of provide that robustness and sort of resiliency, you know what I mean? Which I find in, in gymnastics or even uh, grappling, you know, pushing, pulling, drop and tumble play, climbing, you know what I mean? Any parkour, ninja warrior, like all that stuff is a go. All that stuff is a go for any athlete. But, you know, when you look at a sport where you're going to be flying downhill at top speed or going to be flying high in the air, I think those things are even more important. For sure. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because like having come to the ski team from traditional sports, like, and so kind of going back to the skill acquisition stuff, games based, you know, or game teaching games for understanding games based, play based learning or coaching in a sport context, like basketball, soccer, it makes a lot of sense because you can manipulate variables. Like in soccer, you can play handball. So it changes the skill. But fundamentally, you know, you're still moving in a similar way. Like the the stimulus is is similar to uh, what you'd experience in like the performance environment or the game, like the sport environment. And uh, so where we kind of struggle, I guess, a bit is figuring out how to actually have things transfer, translate into our competition, which is an individual sport. It's a very specific environment. And like for context, our athletes, Michaela Schifrin, who's the top skier in the world, you know, male or female, hands down, just the best in the world, I would say, gets, I think, from our data, roughly 11 hours on task of training per year, right? That's it. Because it's just, you know, the access and you're up on the hill for six hours, but you may take six runs and the runs last 45 seconds to two minutes and, and that's your practice. And so where we are kind of in a lot of the the coaches that are really smart that I have worked with here, you know, what we're looking at is how we put games onto snow. And so I think we do have to have this fundamental athletic development on the grass, on different surfaces, you know, with our feet and running, cutting, jumping, playing. But the challenge for us has been getting creative and kind of understanding what's translating onto the snow. And so therefore, we really are looking at how can we make games on snow? And sometimes that ends up being, you know, coaches will be playing football, passing, you know, while they're skiing or it's just skiing on different terrain, free skiing, like skiing bumps going and skiing backcountry, you know, all these things that are kind of like almost donor sport or technical adaptive training. Like if you're looking at the athletic skills model, so they're, they're very close to the sport, but they're definitely not turning on this gate set, you know, very specific, uh, having to, to stay in this course. And so I think we have a lot more room to run with that. Like, I think we could get a lot better at finding out how we can play more games that incorporate more stimulus, like what Jeremy's talking about on snow with skis on our feet or snowboards on our feet, you know, to expand that, that uh, kind of theoretical basis on or into the sport. You know, what's funny. I was just asking the kids the other day, the kids that I have come in here that, you know, ski pretty often during this and and they race in the wintertime, you know, they have access to the mountain after practice too. They can just go and do whatever they want. So I was just like, what do you guys do when you guys are on the mountain? And three of them were like, well, we go right over to the terrain park. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think for them, it's just fun, but I'm like, whoa, like, that's just like, talk about like trying to, you know, a variety of different skills and diversity of like movement. There you have it, like hitting all those different jumps and, you know, on the rail and all that stuff. I was like, of course, I couldn't say it to them because they wouldn't get as excited as I do. But, you know, they're just naturally seeking out other ways to do things, you know what I mean? Which is awesome to hear. Yeah, it makes me think I'll just jump in real quick because I'm actually trying to picture this is it's sat on my end. I've only went skiing once. And so I'm just assuming a train park is like a lot of like different hills and rails and, and just different ways to explore. Yeah. And I think about that adaptation versus more of a just straight downhill and how crucial those differences are. But you could almost port that same kind of mental image over to a sport like soccer or basketball. Like what's your terrain park? You know, what I'm saying I'm a basketball player. How can I build a terrain park off court? That is, yes, it's like all these things that, that are standard issue for the younger kids, but maybe what about as they get older? You know, where's, where's, what's your terrain park for your sport? What does that look like? And I, 
in the podcast have done. Um, I know Pat Coin has a game he calls, I think he calls it um, Kirby Ball. Kurt Hester has a game called Ghetto Ball. It's almost like these games that have like two different ways to score. Like you can kick the ball in, you can throw it in, you can. It's almost like terrain. I would almost call these games like terrain park games that yeah. allow athletes to explore different ways to get jobs done. So anyways, I just thought that was an interesting concept. No, I think it is. And I think that's one of the things we've been exploring for, you know, the past few years and really put a lot of time and resources in is your point about like having an outcome with multiple avenues to achieve the outcome. And this gets, I think, a little bit off topic to some extent, but I think to bring it all back around to like what Jeremy and I are trying to do with the HPCs, these academies is like, can we create a template for not just a, you know, a weekend coach or a volunteer coach to like have their program and look at it and say, okay, these are the exercises I need to do, or these are the tasks, but you know, like connect that with the outcome here is really to develop these robust young athletes so that they're prepared for anything. And there's a million different ways to get there, but this template hopefully will kind of, they use it enough. It educates them like, okay, well, I kind of see where this drill X, Y, Z and our target outcome is this. Well, maybe I could change drill Y and put my own drill in here and understand that I'm still getting to the same outcome. And even more explicitly, like within the session, understanding what, what to coach and what not to coach is a huge thing. I think for us, for letting young athletes explore versus I think in traditional, particularly highly technical sports. And I would say all these on snow sports are very much a um, skill based sport. Like they have to have robust physical capacities, but in these skill sports, I think we have a problem and it's not just skiing or snowboarding, but overcoaching and overcoaching for the technical aspects and getting people pulled out of that and letting the body just do it, handle it and setting the environment where they, the kids can do it successfully. So, yeah, you know, the other side of it too, I think is having those experiences be enjoy enjoyable for kids. And so they come back. Because, you know, like if a kid has a bad experience, like say you had a group of kids and you did like they were doing dry land ski training and it was like training like an adult would. You know what I mean? Like, are those kids going to come back the next year? Because they're going to their experience was like, oh, that sucked. You know, that was so hard. You know what I mean? But if then you have another group of kids that had a coach that was like all play based in games and terrain park and the kids were like, dude, that was sick. Like, I want to come. I, I want to come back all the time year after year. And so, and as they mature and get older, you know, then they start to do more things, but maybe those kids stick with the sport longer. You know what I mean? And the longer and the more kids you get involved in the sport and the longer they stick with the sport, obviously the higher level, one of those kids could end up going to the, to the top. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, right, there's only one, one gold medalist. So, you I mean, but you start with like these thousands and thousands of kids coming up through the program, having fun and enjoying skiing. Right. That's how you really develop a program from the bottom up. Not only that, Jeremy, I think there's a point to like attrition from training. So, you know, when they're with their academies or clubs, depending on what the club offers or, you know, mandates, if it's an academy, like you don't have a choice, you're pretty much doing physical prep and, you know, regular training. Like when they get to the national team, our athletes aren't mandated to work with us. Right. And so if they've had a just a shitty experience from their you know youth all the way up of dry land or athletic development training, they may choose to not even come train with us. They still have to technically pass our physical testing, but the attrition from training can be mind blowing. And so regardless of even just laying the foundation to enjoy sport overall and just being active for life, we need athletes coming into the national team who they don't have to necessarily enjoy training, but they, you know, should have a passion for, or at least understand the connection for how it's going to help them not get injured as frequently or hopefully at all and or how it's going to lead to performance improvements. And I think we have missed the boat with certain athletes. They view coming to the COE, which is our center of excellence in Park City, the, the performance facility that we have as like the worst possible thing or the worst possible part of their career. Like they do not want to set foot. And I think there's this general aura or perception that it's, you know, once you step foot inside there, it's right, right, right. We're going to go, we're going to train hard training, blah, blah, blah. There's, it's not this fun experience because they've been dosed too early with too serious of training or just had not good experiences with it early on. So they can still compete at a, you know, world cup or world championship or Olympic level. And we may not have anything to do with them. And so we're trying to change that culture and get it reach down, reach up, like 
we need to make this more enjoyable for the athletes, whether they're on the national team or before, so that that doesn't happen. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts with that. One is I, I think that so many in the industry of strength and conditioning or sports performance or whatever the name is for it, when this podcast comes out, is like, I think a lot of coaches, they feel like they're validating their job by doing the, you know, jumping jacks on a whistle, like as if this culture, I don't know, maybe some particular football programs or something, you know, that maybe that is valuable, but to be able to distinguish between a child and, and an adult and what makes this fun for the athlete. I think about what Stephen Kotler said on a recent podcast was that the biggest thing, and this is just for high schoolers, so it's a little, maybe an age bracket up, but the biggest thing that determines if a freshman in high school whether it's basketball, football, the band, you know, the chess club, whatever, if they're still going to be doing it their senior year is how much flow they were in that freshman year when they were first exposed to that activity. So you think of it as like how, how much flow is this athlete, young athlete, older, whatever age you are, how much flow are you in right now? And like Jeremy said, when they're going to get older, they're going to learn to train. They're going to learn the discipline a little more that's needed for their model. But I just think that we so underestimate what like just the difference between a child and an adult and keeping people in flow states. I just think that's such a mistake that's very proliferated. And I think there's an art of learning to play. And sometimes I think we have to give ourselves permission to play because I think a lot of times it's the coaches who don't play that are the ones that are more on the whistle, right? You know, on me, let's go, you know, whatever. And I'm not saying that in some situations there might not be a place for that, but I just think that for so many athletes, that's a huge, like you said, Kellen, it's a big turnoff and they're just not going to come back or not going to want to enjoy it or enjoy it. I think, yeah, it's interesting. I'll let Jeremy jump in because I know he's got a lot of experience with this. Like I reflect a lot on working in the private setting where you're a little more like, at least with Exos Athletes Performance, A, my education and youth development was not great coming out of school because I wasn't a physical education major in sport and exercise science. You know, you you take like one or two you know, neurodevelopment classes and, and that's it. And so going into the setting that I was in, I can imagine it's the same for like a GA or something in more of a traditional collegiate setting. You know, you're kind of your programs and your coaching is a product of the environment that you're in. And when you have, hey, it's 90 minutes and then you're under the next group and we have a system to, you know, make sure that the flow continues to happen and get these athletes through. It's not that you can't be creative, but it definitely framed how like I ran programming and how I coached and what I thought was important. Fast forward, and I'm in an environment where literally we can do whatever we want, and I can spend however much time with a group of athletes that I want. I'm not like worried about, oh, well, they paid for X amount of weeks, so I need to make sure that I'm showing value by like mm -hmm. giving them what two hours a day. I'm just like, hey, they need a day off today, or we're going to play a game today because that's what we need to do. That changed my attitude toward programming, toward coaching, regardless of the level, kids or adult athletes. And I think it's it's overlooked in our industry. Like I think the environment can be overly constraining sometimes where coaches to your first point, Joel, like we show our value by coaching as opposed to just kind of being there to guide and facilitate because I think our environments sometimes force us to do that. Jeremy, you have any thoughts on that one? No, I, I agree. You know, I, I was a college strength coach, so, yeah, you know, yeah. we had, I, I was there too. I felt like, we had a very like specific system and obviously you could manipulate it, but you know, we went from like, sort of like same thing as before, very regimented, you know, warm ups to, you know, medicine ball, like, like we only had so much space. So like, Oh, this group's got to go down there and throw medicine balls off the wall. And this group's got to do like plyometric jump and, and you know, it's very regimented and you only had this amount of time and then you had to lift and everyone's on the clock and just very, and then you group after group, you know what I mean? And, same now, you I mean you come into my place and it's like it's chaos. <laughs> you, know, you, you guys, there's dodgeballs flying around. You know, there might be three high school kids in the corner doing power cleans. There might be three or four, you know, middle school kids chasing each other down. There's balls flying through the air. There's kind of can do whatever you want, really, here. And, <laughs> or, 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 you know, I try to look at it as what, what does everyone need? Like, what does the person that walks through the door need right now? You know what I mean? I think that's so interesting about your, you know, you're not dealing with a 50,000 square foot open facility, you know, with access to all this space. And, but you're still like, because it's a priority, it's your philosophy, like you're making it work regardless of your space. And so I think you're at the point where your, your thought process is all around that. And so I think our challenge, so when we're hiring coaches or when we bring an intern, sometimes like, 
it's kind of a mind blow for them in a lot of ways because now they there's their whole thought process has to shift and like understand, Oh, this is an environment where I have all this freedom and we want to keep it fun. And and that's where you're so valuable and your experience is so valuable, Jeremy, is because it's your, your thought process, your philosophy driving that regardless of the facility, where I think a lot of people get sucked into the facility and the system driving their thought process on youth development. And so then we come up with these youth development systems that are kind of, insular to the bigger picture of like, well, if we had the perfect facilities or we had everything at our disposal, what really is going to be important? If we weren't limited by our logistics, by our time, by, you know, schedules and space, like what would we want to do? And then taking the approach to like, okay, how do we do that in our environment versus like, well, this is our environment. So this is efficient and this is what we're going to do. So I think you're a perfect example of that. Appreciate it. Like I, and I, it's a funny, you know, it's a funny story. Like I had a kid who helped me so he sort of trained with me when he was in high school and then he helped me while he was in college. But in order to, for him to uh, finish his college, he had to do an internship to finish school. So he did it at a college where they were extremely regimented and he had a very hard time, you know, not only coaching, but like with, with the coaching staff too, because they were so regimented and he just was not used to that type of, you know, type of thing because like, you know, they got like, this is the warm up today. They're going to, you're going to, you're going to a skip and B skip and, backpedal and you're going to do this specific thing and ours is like well what do you want to do today you know yeah. what i mean what do we warm up with today well we're going to play this game or we're going to do you know get ups and hops and you know and so it's just like oh we're going to do an obstacle course today because you know in our world i think that it needs to change every day with the younger athletes so it's kind of funny story just because he struggled with that and i said listen you just got to sort of do what they say and just get through it and it's not anything about how you coach or how you are, you're just used to a different way. You know what I mean? So it's interesting. Jeremy, how does that autonomy that the groups get in their warmups change as they get older? I mean, I know you, you said as you're, you're like college groups, they'll just play, you know, they'll play a little bit before their field time or high school. Like they'll just play games, throw the football around, whatever. But how does the autonomy that feedback from the athlete in the warmup process change as the athlete and the groups start to get older and older? Okay. So, so my idea always has been like, the stuff that we do with the younger athletes, the gymnastic type work, the, the crawling, the, the hanging and, and those things like, and even the games, that's their workout. Like that's their session for the day. So say for kids between ages like five to like 11 or 12. Right. But then when they get older, we sort of take what those kids did and condense it to the warm up. You know what I mean? So our warm up for the older kids, our warm up will become sort of what they did when they were younger. So we'll still try to kind of make sure that we fill those holes as they get older. So for example, you know, we might do as a warm up the first exercise, a, a, maybe a 15 or 16 year old kid might do, we'll do a balance activity. We'll do a quick crawling activity. Maybe we'll do like a 10 yard forward backwards bear crawl. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll get up and do a, a forward reach on one leg. We'll do, you know, we'll hang from the bar for 30, 40 seconds. You know what I mean? So we have those elements of stuff they did as a kid. But now it's just condensed into like a 10 to 15 minute period. You know what I mean? So it's almost like we never forget, try to, we never let those things go. We always want them to be part of their, their training. You know, then they'll go into more high intensity stuff where we're doing like plyometrics, maybe even, but even now I'm starting to get away from like your traditional, like perfect landings and things like that. Like I want these guys jumping off boxes and spinning in the air and landing and, and trying to get as creative as we can there. Because I just think like, that's where you're going to, that injury prevention type stuff and, the different positions they find themselves in their sport. Like, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think the, like, do you have these like perfect stick to landing type things all the time? And uh, so I've been getting away from that, but still like what I was saying is, is like after our, those type of warmups that we do that 10 to 15 minute period, that's when, then we get into more traditional, like we might be doing speed work, you know, resisted running sled work, you know, all the stuff that we typically do, but we never let go of the stuff we did as a kid. And if an athlete joins me who I didn't train as a kid, who maybe worked out somewhere else or just started training when they were started, they became a teenager. Like we're definitely doing that stuff because they probably never did it. You know what I mean? So we're going to continue to to plug in those type of activities in the beginning of their training sessions to just to make sure we cover our bases and then go from there. I like what you said. I really, I can't emphasize enough like that landing thing. Cause I, I swear every time I see the, like, you know, the, like the perfect snap down landing I'm just kind of like, ah, like when does that happen in sport? I think the only time that comes to mind is like you get a rebound in basketball and you kind of like, you know, suck down into like protecting, protecting the ball. But I I swear, unless you guys can cope with something, I want to say that's like the only time you would land in a position where you didn't 
like a guy dunks or goes to block a shot, they're going to kind of like bounce off of that. You know, it's like they're going to redirect off the ground. They're not going to, I don't know. I, <laughs> and, and, and the other thing is like, you spend a whole childhood running around and jumping off stuff and landing funny. And then like you turn like 12 and you go to a performance training facility and then you have to relearn how to land. Yeah. Like, dude, we've been landing my whole life. We, we've been landing our whole lives. You know what I mean? If anything, it should get more complicated. Yes. You know what I mean? So that's why, like, lately, with the, and I think the younger, the better. With the, if you see some of the videos I've been posting, like, we hit, like, a slant board, and then they, like, spin in the air and jump over a hurdle and land. Or, like, we're firing balls at them, and they got to jump over the balls that's coming at them. Like, stuff like that, I just, like, they should be, I've been trying to figure out, like, how can I make this, when they get really good at it, how can I make it even more complicated? Yes. You know what I mean? Because like I want them to 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 progress from from those things and and so that thought right now has been kind of like what I've been playing with the most in the gym is trying to figure out how I can progress those type of ah not even progress but just come up with different ways to do those things because like there was a big threat everyone was arguing on Twitter right everyone gets fired up on social media like they showed some some guy he jumped off like a three or I don't know how high the box was but it was like an insane depth jump and he like stuck the landing which is pretty spectacular what the guy did and then other guys were like we would never do that like that's dangerous you can't do that but then you like look at skiing and look at the, yes. like the big air and the landings those guys are coming off of you know in the air with skis on and they're landing like in those forces you know what i mean so it's like i think we're missing the boat as far as like what we can provide the athlete in the training environment and i think it's been this idea like i get it like basics first but kids mastered those basics years before mm -hmm. let's not take them let's not regress them back let's make them better there's an interesting point there too just quickly i want to throw in like you think about like movement variability and and the relationship potentially to just chronic overload or overuse and it's like if your landing mechanics are are not are unchanging and they're the same every time like it it makes it nice when we're programming i'll use the word loosely plyometric training or or jump training and I think there is some fundamental to like a kid should understand a good athletic base position, but like once they learn that, you know, then it's getting in and out of that position. But like when you are constantly hitting the same positions with plyometrics or that is your, that is your one rubric of like whether a plyo was good is the landing position. I just kind of think about how much we program based around that. And so now all of our volume, all of our intensity is based around those, you know, ideal positions and we're not when we think like that, to your point, Jeremy, you're constantly trying to explore how can I change the kinematics just through making them do different tasks. And whether it's rebounding off one leg in a rotational movement, or it's literally, you know, rolling over something and contacting the ground and pushing off, like those are all plyometric excursions. It's just, they're so different that you're probably not ever overloading the patellar tendon or quad tendon or things like that. And especially in like a growing athlete who's going through their growth spurt, like you can do plyometric training without overloading the system and causing this potential overuse injury by being creative with how you program that stuff, as opposed to thinking in the box, oh, I got to do my squat jumps, got to do my linear bounds. I got to do my lateral bounds and all that stuff, which is constantly kind of that same knee extensor torque in different vectors, but it's like repetitive stress, you know? Well, I, I think of it in the same way as like, as a kid, like I grew up and there was no training. You know what I mean? Our training was what we did outside. And I'm guessing that we didn't do the same thing. I mean, I try to remember back, but we didn't do the same thing every day. You know what I mean? One day, you know, maybe we played a few weeks of football and then we got bored and then we went and played more wiffle ball. And then, you know, maybe we went and rode our bikes and, you know, then we wrestled like, but it was so varied and wide that like, like just you said, it's, it's almost impossible to sort of overtrain. Maybe, maybe we got hurt because we fell on the ground or something like that, but we weren't overloading the system. I don't, I can't recall any of us with tendonitis, you know, or any mm -hmm. issues like that. Right. Like, and I don't ever remember any kid in Little League having Tommy John or a girl playing soccer blowing out a knee because the reality was is they played soccer just a little bit during the year and then the rest of the time was doing other stuff. So I think, um, you know, you got to take the same approach. That's why, you know, I try to take the same approach in training is like we try to vary it and, you know, widen that base of athletic skills as much as we can. And I think even in a session, it's like, all right, well, so maybe you did like a hop and stick, right? Like, all right, everyone, we're going to jump over these hurdles hop and stick. All right, that's done. Like we just figured it out. All you guys did it right. Set one, set two. Now we're going to jump over and jump out to the side. Boom. All right, great. You guys just did that. 
All right, now we're going to jump over out to the side, and then we're going to bound in. The, we're going to jump in the air and spin. Like that's how easy it is to literally do it. Like in a session, one session, you can sort of layer things, right? And it makes it for them. Obviously, the generation now, like those kids, are just so used to like so much new sensory information coming at them from like social media and, and gaming and things like that. Like they love that stuff. They love like do they hate doing things over again because that's old news, mm -hmm. right? That hop and sticks old news, dude. Let's add some more, right? And so the more you can give them, the more you can layer pieces on top of each other, the better for them. I think they'll enjoy training more and be more apt to give you give you better effort. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's another side of it too, is like when they're excited about their workout and the things they're doing, they're gonna have more intent, right? They're gonna put their effort into what they're doing more and you're gonna get a higher level of training effect. You guys got me all fired up. No, I, I, you get me fired up too because I, I, well, I actually did think of the other sport I thought of where you might stick the landing is maybe volleyball. I, I haven't really worked with volleyball too much, but I can imagine there's a lot of stick and landing there. But I did want to make that mention. Uh, but I've really been thinking lately of the idea of any training stimulus, just thinking of it, reducing it down to sheer how much information is coming in the system. And you look at the best athletes in the world, no matter who they are, what sport, they can handle the most information, the most sensory, the most just whatever it is, whatever you want to quantify as information, you could look at. I even thought this with using like a DC muscle stim, like it just concentrates information into the muscle. And it's like you can rehab using that. But it's like how much information is in a hop and stick on a single leg? Like maybe, I don't know, like just used to use fictional units, maybe five bits. How much information is doing like a 360 jump off a box, catching a ball in the air? You know, that's like 50 bits. <laughs> and if you get a kid right. who's been doing 50 bits, I mean, my two-year-old, I posted the video I sent to you, Jeremy, jumps off of a the, the dresser onto a bed like four feet away and does a flip, <laughs> bounces into a flip. Like that kid's already at like 25 bits plus, you know, and then he's going to go stick the landings. Sure. And it's like we're almost dumbing down what's coming in the system. And uh, it was Austin Yoakum who sent me the, or he didn't send me it. He had it in one of the articles, but it was like a skateboarder. And this is where I think of skiing and the ski landings and actually kind of like to get your take on just plyometrics and, and progressions and things like that based at the world of ski. Cause I, there's a skateboarder, this kid, he's probably like 12. He's on like one of those, it's like a motel like deck type setup where you're going off the deck or down the deck. And then there's about a, you know, flight of stairs and it's about an eight, nine foot drop. And the kid jumps off the top clears all the stairs, sticks the landing. Like it's, you're basically now doing a nine foot depth drop. Of course there's horizontal speed too, but like he's going to go into a full squat. His butt's almost hitting the skateboard, but he's internally rotating to manage that collision. And I was like, this, this is again, information. That's like, that's like a hundred bits of information, you know? And like, if I was training that kid, am I going to have him do a five bit hop and stick? You know what I'm saying? Like how much is that going to help him? I mean, maybe, I mean, you should be able to do it. Sure. But once you can like, how else can I help you? I guess it's, so Cal, I guess Cal, what I'm trying to ask you is in light of, you know, I'm sure, you know, very high complexity landings and change of directions and things like that. What's your idea with long-term development in these kids and supplementing with land-based, uh, you know, if they're doing games and jumping in games or any ideas or thoughts there? Yeah, I think I have a few and probably I'm, I don't want to say biased, but maybe my perspective is it immediately goes to like our, our rehabs, our return to performance type programming. But I think, so we're lucky as a staff that we all kind of agree with like what Jeremy's saying for the most part, even our sports medicine staff are, you know, they think I would say more like coaches in that like once an athlete is able to do something like change it. And I think we've been heavily influenced too, by a lot of this, the literature coming out. It's funny. I was thinking when both of you guys were talking, like all this shit is essentially like what they're trying to now quantify and like neurocognitive training literature. And you know, the, which I kind of think is a lot of it is subcortical stuff. Like a lot of stuff happening and you're just trying to, to perform. But so I think what, what is old is new and, you know, but aside from that, yeah, like it's challenging for us, right? Cause we can't simulate a lot of this stuff. Like to your point about this skateboarder, you can't simulate an aerialist coming down from 40 feet and bonking a landing or landing. You just can't simulate the force. You can't simulate the speed of a, of a super G run or a downhill run really hard to simulate the balance it takes on a rail with skis on your feet or snowboard. So our thought process is really like as a staff, honestly, expose as much as we can. And most of the time, contextually for us, going back to Jeremy's point and tying this into long-term athlete development, we get national team athletes on the spectrum of like, they've been exposed to a lot of different stuff, had really good training. 
or have had such traditional training or very little training that the basic movement skills and their ability to tolerate all these different bits of information is, is so broad that we can't, you know, there's no cookie cutter approach. We really have to take it one athlete at a time. I think specifically relating this to progressing plyometrics, like until they're like physically strong enough or physically mature enough to really do like plyometric training, because I do think there is a a time and place for like actual plyometric training. Like, well, first they got to have the strength. So even if they're post-pubertal, like if we have young kids, like on the free ski team, for instance, that aren't even done growing or have just finished growing, but don't have fundamental, you know, movement patterns and fundamental strength doing ridiculous plyometrics with them. Our argument then becomes, okay, well, they're doing them on the snow. So what do we need to really give them in dry land to supplement that? And from our perspective, it's usually not more plyometrics, right? It's usually strength and, you know, general robust training with, you know, our older athletes. It's interesting the the jump training, like for Alpine, it's, eccentric dominant, you know, ski racing, you're going downhill, you're constantly decelerating or trying not to every turn you're going through or arcing is really a a quasi static isometric eccentric load. There's very little concentric power, right? So the explosion, I don't want to say is irrelevant, but it's really not a predominant quality in, in ski racing. And so that shifts how we look at doing plyometrics from my standpoint an athlete still needs to do d- jump training from the perspective that Jeremy's sharing of like, can they roll off an object and make a one footed change of direction on a reaction stimulus just from a sense of like, do they have the control of their knee joint, ankle joint, like to not get blown up if they do end up in a compromised position on the snow. But like, we're probably not going to progress them to like weighted depth jumps, you know, with a 40 kilo barbell off of a 12 inch box unless they're like super advanced training age and we just kind of run out ideas just because it doesn't really translate into their sport. So it gets, it gets complicated for us in the context of like, we're dealing with a lot of different issues. You know, do they have the fundamental capacity? Does it relate to their sport? Is it even important if it does relate to their sport at this point in the season? And then, you know, from an injury perspective, which I think is a whole other conversation, but is really interesting. How are we viewing training plyometrics? You know, is it, they should be doing jump and plyometric type contacts with all these other tasks involved, or are we actually just isolating, you know, here's your box jumps, here's your hop and stick versus just integrating those neurocognitively into other tasks. So sorry, that's a little bit of a rant. I'll, I'll shut up for now and let you guys take it, but that's where my perspective is. (laughs) Yeah. I I imagine too, like maybe this could be a segue into like, kind of like skiing being a higher, like a very high risk kind of high adrenaline type, sport i mean i think there can be facets of that in all sports really but do you feel like and i guess this would have to be a person who's bought in too to what's going on but what's the the vibe like in terms of like plyometrics like a lot of athletes want to every time they want to do something better in the gym i want to lift more i want to drop off the higher box i want to you know xyz like you said like building an advanced athlete up to something that maybe just for on, on some level, it, depending on how it fits with what they're actually experiencing on the slopes from an eccentric standpoint. But how do you notice those athletes generally in the way do they usually want to go heavier or drop from higher boxes? Or is it just kind of what does that kind of vibe tend to be for that type of athlete? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's kind of segmented into two core groups and maybe a third with like our endurance sports. But we essentially have like the ski racing And I would say they're your traditional, they're kind of like the football team of the college weight room, like very dialed in with training, a lot of traditional, like we're going to lift heavy, we're going to squat, we're going to do Olympic lifts, we're going to do some speed training and plyos and all that stuff. So from their standpoint, I think they're constantly kind of looking like what's the next progression of this drill in the quantitative, like bigger, faster, heavier, higher type thing. I think you have then the free ski snowboard group, which is all, you know, a lot more based in just like creativity and exploring stuff on the Hill. They're always coming up with new tricks and things like that. And so they're just a very non-traditional group. So for them, the progression is more like what Jeremy's talking about, like what's next, what's different. Um, and we have some really good, uh, athletic development coaches that like kind of bridge that gap. Like, Hey, we still need to progress you from a, from a biomotor ability standpoint, but it's like, okay, this set instead of just landing from the box and doing a 360 and a five yard sprint. Now you're going to land from the box on one foot, do a three six or 180 onto the opposite foot and do a five yard sprint. And so for, you know, that creative group, it's kind of like 
keeping it fresh, keeping it raw, creative. And then with the, you know, the more traditionally trained athletes like Alpine, uh, the ski racers, it's like, okay, we're going to do two sets of this and now we're going to add some load or now we're going to increase the height of the box or, you know, it's that more quantitative because they like, they want that strength. They want that power because in their sport, it's like it's strength and it's capacity to be able to, you know, arc a 3G turn on one leg, so to speak. Last last question for you guys. And that's, I know both you guys not like ski coaches by trade or anything in the sense of your backgrounds and both of you being in physical preparation has just the aerial nature of skiing and snowboarding had an impact on you from just what you think about training sports in general, like aerial work, high risk work, how those athletes go about day to day. Any thoughts on, I, I don't, and I just think of that from the sense of uh, Nikolai Morris, a few episodes back was talking about how she uses gymnastic work with her athletes. And like the idea that one day there's just this foam pit and she's like, do the craziest thing you can into the foam pit. Like that's, that was like one of the things on the day. And I, I that, that sticks with me. But I was thinking, any thoughts on what, you know, aerial high risk, those types of sports can teach just us as coaches in general? Yeah. I mean, I can start if you want, like from a perspective, like a mental perspective, it's completely like upended what I see as, you know, thrill seeking. So for example, just, I think I mentioned at the beginning, like anyone who recreational skis and goes out and and skis and you kind of like, you have those runs where maybe you put the pedal to the metal or snowboard. And you think you're, you know, you're hauling and you're starting to get the, on that edge of like, okay, I feel like slightly uncomfortable here, but it's kind of fun. Like whether you're a ski racer or, you know, an aerial sport, snowboard, pre-ski, imagine that, but now multiply it, not just add, but like multiply it or double it or triple it. And that's what they actually enjoy. And so I think there's two things from my perspective. The mental side is completely different for someone who's not, I'm not wired that way of like thrill seeking and like constantly living on the edge. Like for me to relate to these athletes, I, I can't truly understand how they enjoy this stuff because it's just frightening. It's So it's like basically being either a Formula One driver or a helicopter pilot, right? I, like, I think that's kind of the mentality. At the same time with the gymnastic side of things and the aerial sports side of things, like it changed what my ideal archetype of, I think, what I imagined an athlete being or needing from a physical standpoint is like, you know, the fundamental gymnastic stuff even is, is almost sterile compared to what our athletes do on an, on an aerial standpoint, you know, in the free ski snowboard, it's like, it's not about being form perfect and doing, executing the perfect flip or spin. It's about the steez, right? It's about the style. It's about like throwing the hardest trick you can with that signature style you have on it, like what you bring to the table. And so it's like this super complex from my perspective, combination of like style and cool and technical ability and mindset that's just like so hard to try and like fake or emulate as a coach and so i guess rolling this all back i think the fundamental skills are important how we teach those fundamental like aerial acrobatic floor-based gymnastics are important and i think also how we interact with the athletes is really important in a genuine way like i'm i'm one of the old guys right i'm i like i don't understand what you do i could never do it And so I'm not going to try and like relate to you on that level, but here's like how I can help you to get them hopefully excited is a strong word about training, but like to buy in to your point, Joel, like, okay, these coaches care about me. They get what I need. They're not trying to like be something they're not. And then also to keep in mind what Jeremy talks about, like, how do we constantly keep changing it? Cause that is a very real thing. And that's something I had never been exposed to working with like football, soccer, basketball, if it's faster, if they're moving the weight better, if it's like they're getting stronger, if they're getting gaining weight in the right ways, like that's kind of what was important in my mindset back then. And it's completely changed now. Love it. It's great. I, you know, I think, I think for me, when I, I've always watched like skiing, when you watch the Olympics and stuff like that, especially aerials, right? Like you always watched it. We're like, just wowed, but I never sat down and were like tore it apart and was like, what do they need? You know what I mean? And then when he brought me in and sort of said, oh, go look at this stuff. I sort of went back and started looking at videos and stuff. And I agree. I think I would have a hard time. Like, I think some of that stuff would be easy for a, a really good, a good aerial uh, athlete would probably, that gymnastic stuff is probably really easy. But I look at it from the other end, like from the beginning, like how do we get kids to be comfortable spinning and jumping and landing and doing all those things? So maybe those kids will go on later on to go into that type of sport. Do you know what I mean? Because if they're not exposed to those certain types of movements early in their their lives, like maybe they don't 
you know, I think for for some kids, it's all about. It's almost like your kid Joel having the courage to jump off the the bureau onto the bed, right? Like you slowly expose kids to more and more of those type of things, and they're gonna eventually seek out uh, harder and harder activities, right? And so the idea is like if we can expose kids to jumping and landing and spinning and and doing different tricks and things like that, and like I said before, like getting them into like parkour or like ninja warrior type stuff, which is like a real rush. You know, maybe they start to, you know, gravitate towards those type of sports. You know what I mean? So I, I always just look at it from, I guess, for me, the ground up, whereas like I think, Cal, you're in it, right? So you're, you got the athletes from all different ages. Like, how do you how do you meet them where they're at? For me, it's more of like, oh, how do we get them to that point? You know, how do we get them started off the right way? So it's pretty neat stuff, though. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, guys. Hey, I appreciate both your times for the podcast today. Uh, Again, it's, I always have a fun time learning about sports I'm not super familiar with and just being able to kind of come back into what I do on a daily process in that manner. So I'm going to try to throw some tricks or flips into my plyometric workout today. <laughs> Maybe I'll take some video, but I appreciate you guys being on today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Absolutely. Joel. That wraps up another show. Thanks for being here with us. We'll see you guys next week.